Greetings, Furidashi listeners. In this episode, Lauren and I delve into Final Fantasy 16 and the recent trend in Final Fantasy games towards more action-oriented gameplay. But rather than make all the same tired comparisons others have already made to Devil May Cry or Game of Thrones, we focus on the clear evolution Final Fantasy games have undergone and how the seemingly recent development has, in fact, been a long time coming. If you like what we do, you can subscribe to the podcast on Patreon, where you'll receive a bonus episode every month, as well as access to our full back catalog. No pressure, though. We're glad you're with us in whatever capacity you may choose. And so with that, on with the show. Welcome to the Footy Dashi Podcast. I am your first co-host, Nicholas, and I'm here with co-host Prime, Lauren. Lauren, say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone. Or should I say this <laughs> like in a robot voice? Like, hello, my name is Lauren Ash. I am co-host Prime. I co-host. Will be. <laughs> I'm like Optimus Prime, Laurenus Prime. Autobots, so, roll out. And that's, so d- well, that is not we're... about... Our episode at all. That's no, no, crazy. that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today at all. I mean, there, Final Fantasy does have a kind of like mecha ish thing going on it in some iterations, but no, we're no, not we're just piloting that. icons instead of piloting mechs, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we're just in the heart and soul <laughs> of our giant beasts. It's the beast within, if you will, like the spirits within. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about, uh, well. <laughs> Well, we're going to be talking about Final Fantasy, but we're most more specifically going to be focusing on Final Fantasy 16 uh, with constant reference to uh, the more recent Final Fantasy mainline iterations like uh, the 7 Remake, uh, 14 and 15 especially. But <laughs> I wanted to sort of... I actually picked this, and the reason why is because... You're friends I, with me. Well, yeah, there's there's that. But also, like, I had forced myself to finally play Final Fantasy 15, and I hated it. <laughs> um, okay, hate hate is a strong word, but I but really, 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 I really like did, I, I really did not enjoy the experience. And so I was like, I have to talk about this. <laughs> so let's do an episode. And since Final Fantasy 16 just came out, it's timely. We're doing it again, Lauren. We're topical. How do you feel about being topical again? Well, it's much more than being like what, but bottomal, but bottomal, anything on the bottom. Bottom. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, this is the final for Adashi. Metal music in a Final Fantasy game. <laughs> okay, oh, well, that but- was Final Fantasy 16 in an icon. <laughs> Lightning bolts, everything. <laughs> Okay. I'm, cl- I'm clipping that and that's the entire episode <laughs> All right. yeah. no so before before we uh before we flog the patreon or ourselves we just wanted to like give you guys a shout out that we do have the sub stack 
uh, that you can read at gamedesigndiscourse.substacks.com. Nicholas has been doing an incredible job of his own game design and UX design journey here lately. Yep. Uh, I'm super. I'm super proud of you. I'm super stoked for you too. Oh, like after you. after like designing kind of games on your own, right? You're finally, yeah. you know, you're you're taking that leap into potentially double A, independent, triple A development. So, is there anything you want to kind of shout out to just talk about, like how? You know, from podcast to to actual like game cast, right? Like, that's yeah, awesome. I mean, okay, I guess. Well, one thing about the Substack is that it's specifically, at least currently, is focused on the concept of narrative mapping and an approach to sort of like how to design levels, how to dis- structure um, like combat encounters and various other things, in accordance with this like idea that you can actually think of it in terms of like as like micro and macro narratives and the like micro narratives embedded within macro narratives and also as a way of sort of thinking about the the concept of the core gameplay loop and all these fun game design things and to sort of like give them a framework of thinking of them as having like a narrative structure rather than sort of the the typical structures that are often sort of put forward for these things Um, as far as my journey is concerned well i mean if anyone wants to hire a burgeoning ux designer I'm, i'm here I'm I'm currently unemployed. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I mean, You're currently fun employed. You know? Yeah. My my like... way, my employment situation is complicated at the moment. Uh, money is coming in, just not as much as I would. You know, I I, I need to survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and with that, and talking about money and being a gillionaire, uh, you guys, please follow us also on Patreon as well. I'm super excited because, as you know, Nicholas and I really love deep diving into the history. But because Final Fantasy 16 and kind of this micro history, you could say, of just from Final Fantasy, I would say, actually kind of goes back to Final Fantasy 13, even though yeah. we didn't talk about it. But from Final yeah. Fantasy 13 all the way in to write Final Fantasy 16 and every mainline Final Fantasy game in between. Yep. Um, I just wanted to say that our Patreon episode over at patreon.com slash furidashi uh, is going to really actually deep dive into like the true kind of history. But for yeah. today's episode, we're I mean, it's still factual, it's still real, but we're going to be more going into like, you know, a lot of like the surrounding, you know, lore and meta that's around Final Fantasy 16. Yeah. What is it? Why is it? I've been playing a ton of it. Why do I love it? But also, why do I hate it? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, please go over to the Patreon so you can get actually kind of more in-depth and not just about Final Fantasy 16, but kind of see how Final Fantasy 16 actually came to be. Yeah. Uh, but with that, we'll just be talking about Final Fantasy's existence in the 16th format uh, right now. Yeah. And, and Nicholas, I have a huge question for you. Okay, so go ahead. off. Oh. What what is a Final Fantasy? <laughs> what what is what is game? What is Final Fantasy game? What is game? What is fantasy? <laughs> is it final? Is it sixteen? Well, so yeah, this this seems to be kind of a sticky issue within like the community of people who play Final Fantasy games because no one seems to have like this. There's both the sense that like each individual person like knows for themselves what it is, but if you like compare what one person says to another, they don't really seem to match. And um, Lauren, you had actually clued me into this article by journalist Jason Schreier um, from Bloomberg. And he includes a quote from a long-term Square Enix employee, currently Vice President uh, Kitase Yoshinori, although he has it in the anglicized order here. Uh, The quote goes, quote, The only requirement, says Square Enix Vice President Yoshinori Kitase, who's been working on the franchise since 1990, and that is an important date, (laughs) is that each game have crystals, magical objects used to summon gargantuan beasts or control natural phenomena, and chocobos. 
which I forgot to include in the, in the quote because I apparently didn't copy and paste it correctly. These crystals play important roles in the plot of each game, including Final Fantasy 16, which depicts them as metaphors for climate change. So the three things we have to have are crystals, chocobos, and summons of like fantastic creatures, which is kind of funny because by that standard, by that extremely simple, straightforward standard, Final Fantasy 1, the original Final Fantasy, is not a Final Fantasy game. Nor, interestingly enough, is Final Fantasy 2. And the reason why is because Final Fantasy 1 has neither chocobos nor uh, like summons. The summons, thems- what would become the summons, are enemies that you fight in Final Fantasy 1, but you don't have a means of summoning them and doing cool damage. Uh, so. So the original Final Fantasy is one third of a Final Fantasy game and Final Fantasy 2 is only two thirds of a Final Fantasy game. And the reason why I, I point this out and also the fact that 1990, which is mentioned in that quote, is an important year because that's after <laughs> one and two came out. So Kitase actually doesn't seem to have remembered or maybe what just wasn't as familiar with what one and two were in fact like. So it creates this problem where... Um, I, I, I kind of joked about this on Twitter where like the only conclusion that you can come to is that there is one true Final Fantasy game that satisfies every single criterion people have laid out for it. And that game, Lauren, is Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> because... So before we dive into that, I actually remember tweeting, tweeting? No, we were discording. And yeah. I actually remember very much laying into Nicholas that I think um, Kitase was more talking about the concept okay and the world building of final fantasy that while it didn't have chocobos maybe in the game the concept and the lore of the final fantasy genre the universe if you will the ffu um i've just been wanting to say that forever and i'm so sorry that i said that while you were taking a drink wow (laughs) um but like I think that that's also really critical particularly because i'm currently right in narrative design and like focusing on the more creative side of narrative design, which has been building the lore, building the characters, building the delivery mechanisms, say at the creative level, like not just at the systemic level. Um, and I haven't really like been in, in charge of like actually hard implementing it, right? I'm kind of transitioning, yeah. um, which is like a really awesome time in my career. But now that I'm looking at it, I'm going, I think Kitase was saying FF1 and FF2 are Final Fantasy games because the pure concept of those are summons or they had to be summoned to have you fight them because the concept the story right the fiction the fantasy was that those were being summoned to control natural phenomenon so that you have to fight them right yeah and in other ways i think what's been really exciting is that that also means that chocobos even if you didn't ride them or you didn't see them existed in concept art and that's that's a really interesting premise, right? And so yeah. I'm talking about the quote in this premise sort of way to recognize that as like I too will age <laughs> and potentially be quoted by someone as mystical as uh, Jason Schreier, I would like to be recognized that many years from now when I'm looking back on my life, um, that because I think that 1993 years ago. At this yeah, point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Final Fantasy is an old ass series. It is an old series that if I ever say the concept of X franchise is this and those games <laughs> didn't even have that, yeah. please all note that the concept. No, but I, I I think like me aside, I think like that's really what brings us now into Kingdom Hearts is yeah. that 
where the hell did Kingdom Hearts come from, right? Like we can go and study that history, but yeah. like it has the summons, even if they're like Disney people yeah. and it's got chocobos. Yes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And it's got a lot of Final Fantasy characters. A whole, and it's got a lot it's got of Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy characters than Final Fantasy games have. And what's interesting <laughs> is that the one thing that it doesn't hit for me, though, uh, as funny as it is, is that it doesn't have things that are like controlling natural phenomenon. Yeah, like Kingdom yeah. Hearts is all about the metaverse and or the multiverse is what I should say. Excuse yeah, me. It's about the multi multiverse theory. Yes. And like not so much about climate change, but I do think Final Fantasy has always been about climate change. So, you know, I think more seriously, right, we could probably look at this in forms of a term of like invented traditions of what we believe a franchise, right? And you can look yeah. at our other episodes about yeah, 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 how yeah. franchises are built and structured, how Kingdom Hearts teaches children about the multiverse. Um, well, I think there, there's a desire to create a kind of, interestingly enough, to create a kind of legend or mythos around mm -hmm. the creation of the series precisely because the the truth like the historically verified like the the thing that you can find documentary evidence for is extremely messy and includes things like you know copyright disputes and all sorts of stuff that people don't want to necessarily like it's not a fun story it's a very like corporate capitalist story and I don't know. That's not that's just not fun. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Final Fantasy VII was a great game. But I it's actually <laughs> Well, okay. Setting that aside for Setting a second. Setting that aside Lauren, for a second. Let's I mean, get back to the argument. I, I think I think it's actually important that you brought up the concept of invented tradition because one of the points that Hobbesbaum makes in in his book is that people like especially in nation states, people invent traditions to justify like some long-term ancient tradition for like their ethnicity or their politics or whatever in a time when all of those things feel like they're being destabilized. So the whole idea is that, and this is really apropos for Final Fantasy, because there is a lot of kind of anxiety, especially now in the sort of this more recent turn towards like action role playing games rather than sort of like the classical turn based like tactical role playing games. There's like the sense that like, OK, well, we need to come up with a justification for why all of these things fit together. And so those myths, those stories, those literally, I mean, to be perfectly honest, fabrications on the part of many develop of the, the original developers that helps cement this idea that like, no, there really is a stable through line for all of this, even though you may be you may feel uneasy about how things seem to keep changing every time we put a new one of these out. And I really like this. I really like that term. And for those of you who don't know, right, Eric Hosbond is a a, a historian. And yeah, he's, a you... he's a Marxist historian. Yeah, yeah, he's a Marxist historian. And I was like, I'm going to use the wrong word here. Nicholas, help me out. <laughs> um, but for me, he's always been like a great historian that really talks about. And when I inv I like invented traditions as a word, particularly right growing up in the United States, where there are a lot of cultural traditions that come from a milieu. Yeah, and then yeah. a lot of times when you're, especially when you're in an immigrant household or a mixed household, you do have the invented traditions. Like we've never celebrated Christmas here, but we're going to celebrate it because apparently that's what we do here. And so everybody has to right now celebrate Christmas, Yeah, even though it wasn't really, it's almost a, 
while he says invented traditions, I also like to think of the terminology from game development as an inherited tradition. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of like tribal knowledge, right. That goes around in game development studios that have existed, right. For 30 years. And eventually you will end up hiring someone that's like, Hey, could you just make sense of all of these uh, documents or all of this like fantasy? Right. And I think that what's really, really powerful of that is that you'll constantly be, having and hiring new developers to write reinvent and also because in these kind of big blockbuster titles like a final fantasy there is that expectation not only of continuing that tradition but of reinventing it right of saying hey it's all connected because of the final fantasy universe yeah but it's also something that is disconnected because we're allowed to do spin-offs right we're allowed to you know it's capitalist, but to increase our market potential and also meet the demands, right, of expected consumers within that market. Yeah. And I think it's for that reason that it's more interesting to look at the evolution itself rather than trying to determine whether or not like anything anybody says is like a historical historically verifiable fact. Like, because for the very reason that like the people who worked on, you know, the original like NES and Super Nintendo Final Fantasy games are not the same people who are currently working on things like, you know, 14, because it's it's actually still <laughs> being, being worked on, uh, or 16, or like or any of the other projects, or like the um the the Final Fantasy VII mobile game that's going to be coming out soon. Like none of those people are the same. Some of them, not none, but like for the most part, they're not. And so the thing is like the people who are now working on these things may have been grown up playing those games, but they also grew up playing other games and they have their own ideas. So you're both inheriting a tradition, but you're also reinventing it as you go along. And that is why the evolution is interesting because the evolution is not only responding to historical developments within the like, the series itself and sort of like the internal machinations within Squeenix, but is also responding to sort of other developments in other games that surround it. Like it is in conversation with the rest of the world. It is not this like self-contained thing. And I think we want to look at exactly what that conversation is. Yeah. And the conversation continuously starts like every good Final Fantasy game. It always starts with, ah, but this Final Fantasy is so different. What are we yeah. playing? This has nothing to do with the other Final Fantasy. So I'm so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Reddit. Hashtag everything yeah. Mastodon. The, mo- the most pointless conversation on the face of the planet. Okay. And yet it always but, keeps happening. <laughs> no, it always keeps happening. But there's a and there's a really, really strong reason why. So to kind of tease out why write Final Fantasy 16 on its surface and in gameplay videos. And if you are a Final Fantasy team, Final Fantasy fan, you've probably already picked it up. You love Final Fantasy 14, you love Yoshi P. I know you're playing it. However, if you're one of those like not uh, a Final Fantasy fan or you're within the Final Fantasy milieu, right? Yeah. And you're like, I really want to play this game. But it looks kind of like a Witcher, Devil May Cry, Final Fantasy summon. What am I playing? Right? Yeah, exactly. We are here to kind of break down Final Fantasies, right? Kind of third genre of games, if you will. Right? This. I mean, I think, I think you mean, I think you mean like third epoch, not third genre. Uh, it's, it's many genres. Well, epoch maybe is so. It's just that epoch is so heavy. Okay. Okay, fine. We don't have to call it that. But we can the, call but, it the epoch. But the point is that there, there was kind of an inflection point starting mm-hmm. from Final Fantasy 13. 
And Final Fantasy XIII, in many ways, sort of represents both what preceded it and kind of clearly signals what comes after. Because Final Fantasy XIII still had a kind of not quite turn-based system. It's actually sort of a weird, like, hybrid and the pacing of the the individual combat encounters feels a lot more like what you're going to see in 14 and in 15 and in the 7 remake and now in 16. So, but that transition is a really important one because a lot of the things that 13 lays out, like the usage of the, the ATB gauge and various other things, like it is a point along an evolution. It is not a clear like, oh, now Final Fantasy 13 is an action RPG. No, it's kind of not really an ARPG and kind of not really like it's it's tactical, more tactically oriented predecessors either. And for that reason, it's really interesting that like Squeenix spent so much time revisiting 13 because you not only have 13, you have 13.2 and you have Lightning Returns. And in Lightning Returns, there is actually a further evolution of that very system away from the tactical and more towards the, again, not quite action rule point, not quite, you know, a Final Fantasy game as Devil May Cry, but it's definitely pointing more in that direction. And so, like, I know there's a lot of people have a lot of mixed feelings about 13, but it is really worth playing if you haven't to see precisely how that transition is is happening if, if you've never played it before. Yeah, and I will say Final Fantasy 13 and particularly right that emphasis on Lightning Returns and on the individual, even the yeah. story. Final Fantasy 13, right, is kind of focused around a central character and their relationship to either their party members, but also right to a, say, missing figure in their life. Yeah. What is also incredibly, like, interesting is that that story that I just talked about is an individual, right, supported by their followers and then about a missing figure in their life is very much uh, the story of Final Fantasy 15. right? Yeah. Now, a lot of you, like... Um, a lot of you people that are in, in this, in my generation and above, <laughs> remember that Final Fantasy 13 was also supposed to have Final Fantasy 13 verses, where Noxus was going to feature instead of Final Fantasy 15, and that game was not actually in really development at all. And alas, for you Gen Zers out there, yeah, Final Fantasy 15 was not supposed to exist. Noxus was supposed to be this kind of foil to lightning. Yeah. Right. And I think seeing that and I hope hearing that if you have played 13, you've played Lightning Returns, right, particularly as well as Final Fantasy 15, you then also see a future, right, kind of where that focus on the story of the individual, right, is starting to meet the mechanics of that individual. Yeah. And I think that's really what if we kind of actually draw a thoroughfare to it, but I believe the Final Fantasy kind of genre or the epochs, if you will, is that they always have an emphasis on that storytelling. And it's a very much bespoke authored experience that even in their open world games or, well, I was going to say open world games, but MMOs are not quite an open world. That's a different genre than yeah. the open world of Final Fantasy 15. Immediately, right, it shut, shut you off at Chapter 8 and it goes back to its linear formula. And I think that that's important to note. Um, 
I think I think it's just interesting, right? We have to have the story alongside, for me at least, and this isn't coming because I am a narrative designer. This is coming from a purely practical standpoint that if you're going to focus on an individual's story, you need to give more time, right, in gameplay towards that individual as well. Exactly. And you see this, and it's really interesting if you compare the Final Fantasy VII remake to the original Final Fantasy VII, because you can actually see how this has happened in the comparison between those two games. Because even even when you're like cloud is not in your party the way in which the game is structured is that you still have one of the the characters who happens to be in your party be it like Aerith or Tifa or whatever like they are still the center of what is going on and so not only are they the center of gameplay in other words you're controlling them directly in combat encounters they're also the narrative focus. They are the perspective through which events are being seen in that particular moment. And this is especially important for a character like Aerith, who, frankly, in the original Final Fantasy VII, is not a terribly well-developed character, if I'm being per perfectly honest. Whereas she has much more well very literal agency because you know she's literally doing things <laughs> of her own volition rather than as kind of like a hanger on in like cloud's band of merry misfits <laughs> <laughs> so actually i while i could dig into the Aerith problem i think in a whole other episode and maybe yeah. we should dive into that i think what nicholas is getting at in final fantasy 7 remakes storytelling right is that Aerith originally is more of just like a a secondary kind of party figure in the original final fantasy 7 as much a journey and a story about cloud that just happens to have tactics of a party yeah. right and it is tifa right or Aerith. they get the same kind of scene and they white swap the static meshes yep. you can outfit them in either way Aerith is more of a healer right and tifa is not so i think that a lot of right the final fantasy 7 originally kind of came from right the fact that they killed right Aerith halfway through the game and it was kind of one of the first yeah times that right a, a party member and they took your items right like it's gone oh yeah so like it was like a huge right gameplay moment even if you didn't really kind of value the character you begin to value them more because of this permadeath mechanic yeah but what i i think is really kind of relevant here is that in final fantasy 7 r final fantasy 7 remake the story of Aerith has changed slightly and yeah. that's all i really can or i want to say yeah, but I think the agency that, of, and so that that's what we talk about when we say agency, is it's not just the player's agency playing her, it's the agency of the character and the way that character is being portrayed to, right, the the user or to the player. Yeah. Um, I don't want, I do want to step back though, because okay. Final Fantasy VII R is released after Final Fantasy XV. That is true. And in many ways improves upon a lot of 15s, what I would call concerns. Because the thing is, like, so, so actually, there's a lot of the like DNA of 15 in 16, especially when it comes to the combat mechanics. Like, for example, uh, the warp strike mechanic that you have in 15 is very similar to what is it called, Phoenix Strike? Did I yep, get that it's right? Phoenix Strike. Yeah, in in 16, although in 16 the Phoenix Strike is more like a basic charge. Whereas the warp strike is a little bit more, in fact, it's actually a lot more complicated in 15 because one of the major issues with the combat mechanics in 15 is that it's very confused and very muddled. You have, and this is a point that I made to Lauren a couple of weeks ago, that it's like there are several complete ideas of how like combat is supposed to work in 15, 
And they all kind of get mushed together, even when they directly contradict each other. So like, for example, the warp strike mechanic in 15, the way it works is that the further away you are when you warp in, the more damage you do when you hit for the first time. So this encourages a kind of combat where you're moving in and out as your other like you know party members as your companions are also fighting you know whatever creatures or boss or whatever happens to be but the problem with this is is that the other mechanics like the the uh the the link strikes with your with your companions and also the positionals on the various like creatures and bosses like that actually emphasizes being much more like in the thick of things and sort of staying close to your companions not constantly zipping in and out so there's this inherent contradiction whereas what 16 has done i think and also 7 did this as well 7 took it in one direction like 7r and 16 took it in another is that it cleaned up that muddied sense of combat mechanics in 15 however that having been said in order to understand either of them you really do have to look at 15 because there is the germ of a really actually several (laughs) really good ideas there that's all i wanted to say no i i think that's that's an incredibly good thing and a good like kind of preview into what i really i want to talk about that deep dive in that transitional period Um, in our Patreon episode. And like for me, something that like you have to understand too is that we're talking about Final Fantasy 13 and Final Fantasy, right, 13 2, which was released in I think 2009 and 2011 respectively. Yeah. But Final Fantasy 13 Lightning Returns is released in 2013. And for those of you who are Final Fantasy uh, 14 fans, A Realm Reborn is also released in the year 2013, yep. right? Final Fantasy 15, three years later, is released in 2016, right? Kingdom Hearts 3, I knew I knew that we were going to come back to it. You knew we were coming back to it, is released <laughs> yeah. in 2019, but was originally slated to release in 2017. It was pushed back many, many uh, years, particularly because of Unreal Engine becoming free uh, in 2015. Yeah. And so that really propelled the Kingdom Hearts right forward. They switched their development engine halfway through the project yeah. in 2015, right? Obviously, they needed at least four more years to try to clean it up and pour it everybody over. Yeah. Probably needed more in it, but Kingdom Hearts 3 had been developed for 10 years at that time. The Final Fantasy VII Remake was released in 2020. Yep. And now, three years later, we have Final Fantasy XVI. So these dates are incredibly important. And the reason why this evolution is so important is that if you have been playing Final Fantasy games for, I was going to say 10 years, uh, but Lauren, Final Fantasy 2005 uh, is to, anyway, if you've been playing (laughs) Final Fantasy games for your life uh, (laughs) out there. Me too. I mean, I just go further back. So You just go further back, right? Uh, If you've been playing Final Fantasy games that long, like, and I've been playing it from before, I don't know, the first date was 2005, I think. Like, that's what I'm saying. If you've been playing Final Fantasy games for 20 years, there is a very clear evolution between, right? And now we're, let's get back to today's episode talking about Final Fantasy 16. A clear evolution, not only in the combat mechanics, right? And the party dynamics from yeah. Final Fantasy 15 or Final Fantasy 7R, which is much more a kind of focused uh, combat, but also a lot of design from level design, their story design, encounter design, how the actual bosses play out come a lot from Final Fantasy 14. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very much. But the mission and dungeon design that kind of is on top of the overlaid of the yeah, yeah. both the open world and the linear missions of Final Fantasy 16, man, 
it's it's such an evolution literally of every single game it's just an iterative formula and it's that iteration of final fantasy that i think gives them such staying power because it's actually not so different of a game at all from the other games it's really just a little bit it's just really really well done tweaks and that's what we wanted to talk about today well, it's really just things, it showing also, that yeah but it also results in these like over time incredibly drastic changes because you know for example in an early iteration of a final fantasy game it was not uncommon for you to walk from one side of a room to another and suddenly find yourself in a random encounter fighting dogs <laughs> whereas by the time you get to even like the seven remake and now in the 16 the fights are much more foregrounded like you can actually see them visually coming they don't just like like this the screen doesn't distort and everything changes so like there's a much more like narrative through line even in like non-boss or like non like major plot line encounters well so and that that really comes from right uh, I mean, that really comes from, without getting into the details of literally <laughs> the next episode here, <laughs> it really comes from the advances of technology. And that's not quite yeah. a drastic change, right? Yeah. To the developers, they probably had to place those random encounters or they had to, so it felt random to you, yeah. the player, but they yeah. were likely placed all across the map and there was just a percent chance, 25, yeah. 50, 60. And the higher the percent chance, so 100, means that you would fight a real boss. And because of loading issues, they had to load in these battles, right? Yeah. So what we talk about is drastic changes from, say, the kind of like the history of Final Fantasy. Yeah. I actually kind of am looking at it really more as just a natural progression forward, right? Yeah. Like when you can finally show the enemies on screen, why would you not show the enemies on screen? And that also is a right expectation of the consumer. Yeah. Um, but I know particularly for me, I want to kind of look at the levels and encounters, but I know you actually wanted to start more on the combat side and yeah, to, to, to kind of talking, yeah, to continue and talk more about that. Just to continue a thought from before. So um, one of the things that Squeenix did for 16 is they hired uh, Suzuki Uriota, who was a combat designer for Devil May Cry. And I don't want to get too much into the like comparison between the like Devil May Cry 5 and Final Fantasy 16. One, because I don't actually think it's a terribly apt comparison. But what it does, be, and the thing is, like, also, I don't think that that is what directed the shift. I think that is symptomatic of the shift. As we pointed out, the shift is already happening in this movement towards a more ARPG focus. So then the, the idea is, you know, if you're a Squeenix executive, like, okay, well, then we need to bring people on who already know how to do this. Let's hire people who have worked on these action games and bring them in to help us, you know, work on our system. So it's not that, like, suddenly Final Fantasy is trying to become Devil May Cry. It's more like it's leaning on that Devil May Cry knowledge to emphasize a transition that is already happening. And that is actually kind of what I meant when I said earlier that like Final Fantasy games are in conversation with other things that are going on within sort of like the broader games industry. And so when you have a director like Yoshi P who is, who's, you know, interestingly, and we'll talk about the relationship between 14 and 16 in a bit, but he's seeing this trend happening. Like instead of, he himself, when he worked on 14, completely reinvented that game. And so it's interesting that he's now in a position to like hire on people who are 
going to continue that reinvention and that evolution for the mainline series. And so like, even though you can like, you can point to certain superficial similarities, like, you know, you may find like, I don't know, you may point to a particular ability that Dante has in one of the Devil May Cry games and how that's very similar to an ability that Clive has, but that's not the point. Like it's also similar to a lot of other games. The point is that the, the series is moving in that direction. So now they need to hire on those people. They're not going to be hiring, hiring on people who have a lot of experience like making strategy games because Final Fantasy is not a strategy game. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting for me is that as I'm playing Final Fantasy 16's combat, what I'm really recognizing is that it feels very much like Kingdom Hearts 2 or Kingdom Hearts 3. Sora has an attack button and a magic button, and that's it. And then you change to different abilities, which usually are more magic abilities in Sora's case. Yeah. Um, but after right improving your one weapon over time that you get better access to either through the story or through whatever, you really just carry this one big sword. You smack everything with it as many times as possible. But in Kingdom Hearts, there are more combos and is way more reminiscent of Devil May Cry than yeah. Final Fantasy 16, which really just doesn't have that vibe. Yeah. And so I think it's a really interesting comparison that I think was just drawn out as an assumption of they hired the lead combat designer. So obviously he got his way. And I remember for me, what I feel is that it actually feels like they hired this guy because he had a lot of knowledge and was like, great, I'm going to be able to do a combo system. And they were like, oh, well, what we meant by combo system was you get four attacks and every attack can be done by a, a magic burst. And everything also has magic. So you need to deal with the role-playing game of like fire and ice and, yeah. and all of that. Please yeah. make this work. And it was like, oh, you want to know how different skill abilities could function together to create a unique gameplay, not how do I make a combo system? Because a combo system, right, is incredibly different. It's very Street Fighter-esque. And yeah. Devil May Cry, right, is mu pretty much a swords and gunslinging yeah it's very, fighter, it's very, it's very hack and campaign. slash like it's, yeah it's very hack and slash now yeah. 16 would be hack and slash if the combat system didn't really borrow every single encounter design from final fantasy 14 well yeah okay actually here's a really good point to, to sort of emphasize what we were saying about like the the evolution is still drawing upon things that like existed previously. So in a sense, sixteen does still have quick time events, but those quick time events are often put in the context of combat encounters. So you have these like cinematic moments within combat encounters when you can parry or like you know two weapons clash and you're supposed to like push the other person off, or you're or Clive is like now jumped over the Marlboro and is going to stab him, and there's there's a little like quick time thing you have to do for that. So. So like the quick time event, which is a thing that is like goes way back in terms of the Final Fantasy series, has been repurposed for these like cinematic combat events. And, and so, that's like, exactly what yeah. they're called. It calls a yeah. cinematic encounter, cinematic clash, cinematics yeah. evades. Yeah. Like it's quite literally cinematic parry even is like a yeah. thing. It's like they just add the word cinematic in front of it. And what I think is fantastic is as soon as I'm playing this, I'm going, wow, this is the moment of the boss fight. 
uh, in a trial in Final Fantasy fourteen where they're like, smash the goddamn button yeah, so that I, you can win. <laughs> and if everybody doesn't smash the button, you all lose or at least that person Well, that loses. person usually dies, yeah. They usually person dies. And then yeah. I say you all lose because I'm the healer. And so I'm like, oh, I gotta res you, gotta res you. And if the tank doesn't do it, then you're like, flip the table, right? Like you get, it, it's emotional and I and I get that. Yeah, um, yeah. So maybe I'm proving the point of the cinematic encounter here. But the reason why I'm emphasizing the encounter design and I'm separating that from mission design, which we've also kind of talked about how they're two different fields, is that the encounters of these boss battles are so reminiscent of fighting in a trial in Final Fantasy XIV yeah. that you can absolutely see where they've gotten. Like you can see that Yoshi P and the people that he worked with that he loved on Final Fantasy XIV really gave this game their all. The hunts are honestly really fun. Right. And instead of a hack and slash, like you just have a lot of health and I have to get through you. It's not about um, it's about positioning. It's about avoiding the AOEs. Right. It's also about it's not about failure. The combat encounters in, I think, previous Final Fantasy titles, particularly in 13. Let's talk about 13 just so that we can kind of put that there is that. If your strategy or tactics weren't good enough, right, or you were just a little underleveled, you could grind out some levels, come back, and you had to get your strategy in order to get through the bosses, to fight the boss, to defeat the boss, to then get your cutscene and be like, hooray, I can breathe, right? There was this sense of lost progress with every fight that you didn't win. But in Final Fantasy 16, if you lose a boss battle, and this is important for the Final Fantasy 14 clarification. Yeah. Uh, you respawn and you have full health potions and high potions and health potions completely restored to you upon respawning. So you yeah. can go and try again. Because in an MMO, what would you do uh, between these encounters? You wouldn't, well, you don't have potions in an MMO, but in 14, you would be like, guys, we retried our trial. Good thing we're at full health. Let's try again. There is no yeah. safe scumming in an MMO. There's just, you are supposed to fight and be epic every single time. And if the game failed you, that's fine. Like you're you're still okay, right? Warrior of Light, you just need to try this again with your friends. Yeah. And Final Fantasy 16's boss design, even from the hunts to the single player right cinematic clashes have very they actually have a, a lot of fail states, which makes them feel like they have no fail states. So I've missed a lot of cinematic button mashing. I've been like, crap, or <laughs> I thought it was going to be a clash, so I hit square, but then when the UI prompt, it was R1, and it was actually an evade. And I got a whole different cutscene that still let me win the battle because Final Fantasy XVI is about Clive being the hero. It's about you being the hero. It's about you living that fantasy, right, of being, yeah. right, <laughs> the final hope for the world. I cannot believe that my brain just like decided to say that. And I was like, damn it, I was not trying to do that. But that's what I'm talking about. Versus yeah. in like six in, in DMC and Final Fantasy 15, right? There were a lot of failure states that fails like failures. You have to constantly save, you have to reload, right? Yeah. And you have to make sure. But 16 isn't about that. And it really takes a lot of that, right? From 14. Well, and it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that because just from my observations it feels like it seems like 16's combat encounters have a kind of like arena feel to them and yeah. what's interesting is that that both kind of mimics sort of like the classic like tactical rpg origins of final fantasy in which like it is like a self-contained box or a nest of boxes but that is also and i i'm glad you brought up the trials from 14 because 
one, they, they have a kind of self-contained arena feel to them, but the trials also typically have a narrative structure to them. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, the voiceover dialogue and so forth. But the thing is, like, there's a very clear sense of one, how that particular trial fits within sort of the larger main story quest line, but also then in sort of like its own microcosmic arena, like it has a narrative structure. You're shifting not only between boss phases, but even different types of gameplay. Like, you know, you're doing at one point the standard MMO thing of like, oh, I'm spanking the boss. Oh, I'm healing people. And occasionally I cast my DPS spell. Then moving into this sudden like moment where like everybody is surrounded in these dark chains and a giant circle button appears in the middle of the screen and you have to roll your face across the keyboard for 15 seconds. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the narrative structure, actually. Like, no, it's true. And then after yeah. rolling your face across the keyboard, you now then put your fingers back on the keyboard. Yeah. Roll your fingers across the keyboard to then win the boss. Yeah. The same, but on the controller. And I'm so glad you brought up the narrative structure because I think what's really important is that Final Fantasy 16 is a super coherent experience because of that narrative structure. Yeah. They take the leaf out of Final Fantasy 14, they copy it. 60 times they stapled it together they gave it to a printer the book printer was like this needs to be a better book gave it to a book binder the book binder bound that book took the page from 14 and then made it final fantasy 16 with a new title and i say that because the narrative structure in the level design right of final fantasy 16 the level design feels straight out of 13 a little bit out of the end of Final Fantasy 15. Like it feels really, really well polished. Like it's actually really good level design. But the narrative structure of these levels and this narrative structure of getting to a new region, needing to kind of go in order to unlock different regions of the map. Yeah. And the narrative structure of you've defeated a bad guy. The bad guy sends you to a new region. In that region, you get to people and there's people, the people are in your way, not because they don't want to help you, but because they have problems. Now you <laughs> solve their problems. Okay, yeah. now that you've solved their problems, you realize their problems were actually due to the whole reason why you were here. And yeah. you've gained new knowledge. Now go defeat a mini boss in this dungeon because that's really important and going to really protect the people, unlock more regions in the area so that you can do it all over again. Yeah. And then when you get to the end of that region and you've cleared the map, oh my God, you have really big boss battle coming. Yeah. And then the next station of the region will take you to a new area of the map for you to repeat the cycle. And it's really fascinating to me because as I am talking about this, I am just thinking of Shadowbringers like in my head. Yeah, that's four, that's 14 right there. And that's, <laughs> that's, that is 14's narrative structure. Yeah. And it works really well. And what's interesting is as I'm playing 16, I'm like, man, I'm really invested in this game. Like, and I just don't know why. But <laughs> there are certain areas where every time I feel like I get to a new location or a new region, I just put it down and it's a little hard to pick up. And it's suddenly it's because you're at that phase of the narrative where you need to help the people's programs to progress your game. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's hilarious, but it is a narrative structure. And I think that's really important, particularly with the work you're doing in narrative mapping. Yeah. Is that players right? The game experience when it is such a story-driven game, or even if it's not story-driven and say gameplay focused, right? Or yeah. systems driven, there is always going to be that narrative in the player's head, right? Yeah. And so at, at the risk of quoting myself, which is something that I don't 
usually like to do the most but that you should do more often because your quotes are really good okay the most recent post that i put up on gamedesigndiscourse.substack.com you can go there right now you can pause the episode and read it and come back if you want however i will summarize a point that i made there for you so I, I come up with this sort of very simple paradigm for thinking about narrative mapping, mapping, which is establish, complicate, resolve, which is sort of like the beginning, middle, and end of this, this structure. Now, the third of those resolving, so like coming to a resolution, one of the things that I emphasize in that post is that you can't think of resolutions in game design terms as strictly speaking like climaxes. And the reason for this is because at the same time that it's sort of like maybe bringing a combat to a close or like the end of a boss fight or say like the end of a particular area in which you're doing things, that resolution is also then setting up. It is establishing the next cycle that you're going to to go through. Well, ideally in a really well-designed game, in a game that has a very clear narrative structure that moves you from one zone to another very seamlessly, does exactly this. It does what 14 does. It does what 16 does where like you get to that what feels like a culmination and it does it does genuinely feel like a culmination but it has this kind of double identity and the other facet of that is the realization that like the thing that you have just done now is going to push you towards this other cycle of events that you're now going to be moving towards and so it feels more comfortable when you're playing it it feels more logical because you never have to sort of like guess what it is that you're supposed to be doing like there are there are a lot of times when you're playing rpgs including some ones that i really really enjoy for including the one that i'm currently playing um where you get to a point where you've completed something and then you kind of go so now what and both 14 and 16 don't do that <laughs> like, like they don't let you they don't really give you the time to have that so what feeling because that so what feeling kind of sucks and it's when yeah. people turn off yeah, and what's really interesting is that in Final Fantasy VII Remake, I really had that, okay, what what is happening now feeling? Particularly when, I don't know if this is a chapter eight problem, like after eight chapters, like Final Fantasy was like, you know what, we, we just, we should have not done 12 <laughs> because I think it's chapter eight and 15 and it was like, maybe not chapter eight, but chapter something in Oh, it's Final definitely Fantasy. from chapter eight and 15. It goes it's off. It's definitely right. chapter eight and 15. And in Final Fantasy seven R, I talk about the chaptering structure because every Final Fantasy game does do chapters, yeah. even if they don't tell you their chapters. Um, and in seven remake, it's when Cloud does the motorcycle race through the tunnel to get to the city or something after. And then it turns into Cloud being, I think, I don't know, someone is somewhere, you're playing Tifa and there's like this, this cyberpunk 2077 building that you're like level designing through. After that chapter, whichever chapter that is, right? Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to just get through this so I can get to the battle. I just have to get through this so I can get to a battle. Nope, yeah. another motorcycle chase. I get that this is super nostalgic because you guys remade it and this is cool and I get it, but I know that the boss battle is right there and I just, it, it felt more like a slog. But in 14 yeah. and in 16, because their narrative structure is so repeatable, you don't ever feel that, right? And so well, recognize... Well, it's interesting. And this is the important point. The structure is repeatable, but the content can drastically change each time. Yes. So it always feels novel. It always feels novel. Whereas so, I, I, know, I, know, I know what you're saying, especially in 15, there are like moments when you're doing something like, yeah, okay, we did this. The slow walking through the corridor okay, can we just get on with that already? Like, it feels repetitive. It genuinely feels repetitive. Whereas in right. 16, not so much. 
No, it, it doesn't. In 16, it feels like there's there's a part of it. And, you know, honestly, in 16, I could talk a lot about, right, the very specific polish tweaks that the game even has as well from yeah. the cinematic gameplay camera transitions that happen every time to the automated chocobo dismount animations to the really fantastic hand animations even are just like the polish on this game, right? The money, the love that the development team has poured in, hopefully not too much crunch, uh, it's just is beyond me. But what I really think, right, uh, we should wrap up this episode on is whenever we play the Final Fantasy game, right, we are always kind of left wanting a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. And so really, right, if this is where we are in Final Fantasy's third epoch or or third kind of like wave of, of Final Fantasy games, what's next, Nicholas? Well, I mean, I think we're probably still going to be in this territory for a little while. If I had to guess just based on, because like the first generation of final fantasy games or epoch or whatever you want to call it was roughly six of them the next one was also roughly six of them obviously with more spin-offs because as time has gone on they produce more and more spin-offs um so i feel like we're probably going to be in the arpg ish territory for a while and i think part of the reason for that is because a lot has been invested in uh yoshida naoki as sort of like a kind of you know spearheading where final fantasy is going and he definitely as a designer chases trends rather than defines them and I, that sounds bad but I, I what i want to be very clear is that like so like for example um when he was brought on to essentially like reboot uh final fantasy 14 he looked directly to world of warcraft and even made his designers play World of Warcraft in order to get a sense of like the feel of it in order to redesign for Realm Reborn. But 14, as you know, Lauren and I can both say, we both played 14 and World of Warcraft. They don't really feel like similar games anymore. Like it has evolved in a different direction. So the, I, so the thing is, the reason why I say he's chasing trends is that he's looking to like what is working right now and then adapting that and the same is and we, the same point is what we kind of made for like the inclusion of suzuki Uriota, the the double may cry designer is that he's looking at what other games are doing and using their expertise and adapting it to the thing that final fantasy is sort of like evolving into and also a lot has been said about sort of like the similarities between 16 and sort of like Devil May Cry in terms of combat and like Game of Thrones in terms of its narrative. But also like I think that the differences really are important. And it's not just a mashup. It's about sort of like being in conversation with those things, looking to them, but at the same time sort of still like also looking into like Final Fantasy's own past and taking things like those quick time events, reinventing them in a very, you know, for like a, a different function in combat in this case. And so like, that is always what's happening. Like, I think that is what's, what's going to continue to happen. Like when Final Fantasy seven rebirth comes out, like it's going to be more of more remake, but at the same time, it is going to be explicitly looking to sort of like, those little touches within previous iterations of the series and sort of remodeling them within a sort of contemporary, like big game, triple A space. Yeah. And for me, like, I think that reimagining and that readaptation is kind of what makes the final fantasy genre stand out. Like I've yeah. always been a final fantasy fan, even when I wasn't able to complete the games, because at the end, right. One of the joys and frustrations of final fantasy is you can never really tell which direction it's going. 
Yeah. But I do think that even if Yoshi P being that spearhead, it's not so much about chasing the trends. Is for me, my metaphor is about looking at those threads of the other games and weaving them into your already right kind of tapestry of what Final Fantasy should be. Yeah. And so where I think Final Fantasy will be headed is beyond the Final Fantasy VII remakes, but we can really see what that next, right, say, fourth wave of the Final Fantasy games will be when we finally get Kingdom Hearts 4. I was going to say, it's funny that you say fourth wave because it's going to be Kingdom Hearts 4. Four. <laughs> yep, you betcha. 17 years from now when Kingdom Hearts 4 finally comes out after being redone for five different engines. <laughs> We're already on UE5. Okay? There'll never be a UE5. But with that, everyone, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. As always, we are a host, Nicholas and Lauren, here over at the Furudashi Podcast. You can find me at the Lauren Ash on Twitter. I am also now on the Blue Blue Skies at Espresso Cat, because who knew that that would not be a name already taken? (laughs) Uh, You can find Nicholas at at Academicality. I haven't had to say this in a while. Yeah. Um, As well as, right, our podcast at at Furudashi Pod. Yep. So until next time slash until next week when you we see you on our new Patreon episode, really deep diving into this. I guess we'll have to revisit this in the 17 years it takes and hopefully we'll still be around doing this for your listeners out there uh, for Kingdom Hearts 4 and for Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth. Until then, I don't know, keep playing Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy.